0: Hi, it is March 24th, the The, year is 2020.
1: (laughs) The year is 2020
0: and the androids are uprising. You were just itching to jump in there and say (laughs) that, were not you? And this is Julie Kearns and... I am Aaron Dillon Kearns and I'm fixing the levels here a little bit. You're hosts of Talks in Philia to Me, a podcast about cinema, artistic, outsider, experimental, and B-movies, and we will try to talk about film. Sometimes. Before I introduce today's movie for discussion, for context is the news, which is. What is it? It's a lot of fun. It's It's, a pandemic. It's COVID 19. I hope you're doing well. We are well over two weeks into social isolation, but I had been watching the COVID 19 situation since it broke, worried this might go global so we've long since been well-saturated with news of it and practicing physical distancing. Some say this is an introvert's dream situation. Nope. No, it's not, unless you're an introvert who doesn't care what's happening out there and is unaffected by it. Or a
1: misanthrope.
0: Or a misanthrope, yeah. And introverts are not necessarily misanthropes. Nope, history has shown that quite well. And so, if you're unaffected by it, that's a really p- privileged and exceptional situation. And that's not the case with most people. The effect is profound, and we have all watched, first, as Wuhan closed down, followed by other countries and some areas in America, city by city. As people sequestered themselves, a number stated on social media, they were reading Albert Camus' The Plague. How original. original. Yeah, really. (laughs) How are we going to deal with it? We're going to go to Albert Camus to find out. And it was published in 1947, two years after the end of World War II. Perhaps it was influenced by World War II a little bit, more than just the plague. Um, I read The Plague when I was in college, but haven't done anything but glance at it the past 15 years. I write, and it takes a while for me to get a book done. I'm at three years on my current one. I thought I'd be done by summer, but the pandemic, rather than making me rush to finish it, stranded me artistically, which I hadn't expected. There's a difference between facing a purely personal catastrophe and a crisis that is affecting everyone around on the scale that has now happened, both medically and financially. People losing jobs, their livelihoods, worried about losing apartments and homes.
1: Oh, I don't like that.
0: No, A personal catastrophe can make one hone in on essentials to be accomplished. A crisis such as this, at least in my case, splintered rather than sharpened focus as I watched leaders falter even as our lack of societal safety nets left millions in a state of traumatic uncertainty. Today, the city of Atlanta goes into lockdown for two weeks. Even as Trump says, nay, in a week it will be back to business as usual. Let fate claim those that it will. We must sacrifice the vulnerable for capitalism. We are all right now living in a state of trauma, and we'll be coping with the effects of that trauma for a while hereafter.
1: I'm just going to say, though, we did self-isolation before. It was made cool by Atlanta officials. We are the OGs in self-isolation here. We did it two whole weeks before they announced everyone else to do it.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> uh-huh. I, well, we were being careful because, you know, uh, I have asthma and, you you know, we have conditions that kind of we wanted to avoid getting... <laughs> Plus, we didn't want to be vectors, you know. That and whenever I
1: tend to work on stuff a lot, I tend to stay at home anyway, but that's the less altruistic
0: <laughs> no, that was you were planning on you had all kinds of stuff you were planning on getting out and doing and then you yeah. c- and we we talked then it was kinda like, oh you know, damn when you felt that <laughs> Yeah, it was uh you had people that you were gonna call up to get yeah. to come film with you and then you decided now was not the time to do that. Yeah. There's art that deals with trauma, but usually after the fact. Art that deals with trauma while it is ongoing tends to be propagandistic, often attempting to unify unify vision and outlining what is expected of the individual as a member of society. It is afterward that voices emerge examining the effects on individuals and the masses, how we ended up dealing with a crisis culturally, which can be again directed from the top down as to what is one's duty. It's
1: the difference between the Donald Duck cartoon of Donald Duck in Nazi Germany and Come and See by that one Russian film director. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I was mean to see about the plaza, but then. Uh, but COVID-19 then we were we, we
0: were sidelined by COVID 19. We decided not to go see it.
1: Yeah, and now the plaza is, I think, like, shut down. Yeah,
0: it is. Yeah. All theaters have been shut down. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, they tried to stay open for a while. Yeah. But, I mean, having safe, you know, physical distancing yeah, they in there. and cut out like half the rows and stuff like that. Right. The plaza is a really cool local theater. Local theater. With World War I and World War II, there was a definite beginning and a definite end, at least by government proclamation. But beginnings and endings aren't always so clean. Vietnam wasn't a clean ending, though it ended. We watched on television the evacuation out of Saigon and saw it in photos. The general consensus was that was not how we wanted to remember things and we moved on. The end of the Cold War wasn't sharply delineated though the fall of the Berlin Wall has become symbolic of it, and nuclear threat, of course, is still a great concern. In the days following 9-11, we were told to go out and shop, which was amazing and seemed an unprecedented response, individuals treated now only as consumers.
1: (laughs) Freedom fries.
0: (coughs) Yep. (laughs) I don't think we have really begun yet to truly face the effects of that, and they're still unfolding. And now we are once again being spoken to as consumers. These are your medical options as consumers, which is inappropriate as it abandons a great portion of the citizenry who haven't the money to be medical consumers, but makes very clear that such are barely considered worthwhile citizens. It's a very perplexing time, isn't it? it as we can't being tell, told, we have a little bit of an agenda going here. now we're being told to, you know, throw grandma under the bus it's, it's like okay sacri- sacrifice Pro grandma
1: and the one kid who has like uh, 30 medical conditions under the bus yeah, you know <laughs> sa-
0: sacrifice the vulnerable to get back out there unshutter those businesses and get back to work unveil for the true master race it's just
1: you know like this sort of uh genocidal eugenic program
0: or something so for a while there people were worried about toilet paper toilet paper is a barricade against the unknown against the impact of the unknown on a very fundamental, physical level.
1: When deaf comes, you raise your toilet paper.
0: That makes no sense. (laughs) That makes no sense at all. People trust enough in the system that they know they will have food. They may hoard food, but they trust in canned goods in the freezer, you know, to keep their food. They don't have the same trust in toilet paper.
1: The thing we should really be hoarding is Twinkies, because... Well, the amount of preserves and that stuff, you could be eating that stuff like in 2030.
0: Anyway, all that I was going to say is that toilet paper became kind of this symbolic concrete bunker against the unknown, against not knowing how long this was going to go on. Although toilet paper now was we the freedom know. fries of the now 2020s. Although in Atlanta, Atlanta, we've got the shutdown for the next two lockdown for the next two weeks. But yeah. Trump is telling us that everyone's going to get back to work within the next, you know, what, six days now? Six days?
1: Oh, God, I don't even know. Okay. Toilet paper is the new Freedom Prize.
0: All right. (laughs) I think that we have wandered away. Yeah. I have for some years written essays on film and returned recently to working on one I had begun about a year ago, in which I now uh, started to make associations between the modern phenomena and film of having characters confronted by empty streets and empty cities. And those empty streets and empty cities have nothing to do with war or contagion. Instead, it's a signal to the character and to the audience that something psychically is amiss and the storyline has to be re-examined. This is very different from the crises of the protagonist in the 1950s and the 1960s when they were faced with an empty street and an empty city. When they went outside and they saw highways and these long ribbons of concrete, no cars on them except maybe a few abandoned here and there, uh, that meant that it was nuclear more often than not. Something had happened. Uh, there was, it was the anxiety of the Cold War. And so you would have high-rise buildings full of apartments in which no one lived. Their belongings were all that were left. And this was the Anxiety of the Cold War, where you'd have the last person on Earth. Oh, it's funny that you say that.
1: Yes. <laughs> you almost name drop the film. Oh,
0: yeah, that's true. You <laughs> almost did. Back then, the emptiness had to do with Cold War and a uh, nuclear threat, until it was fused with the plague and the ancient fear of disease such as had, in the film we're going to discuss today, the 1964 film, The Last Man on Earth, starring Vincent Price. America's favorite polar bear. Because we are living <laughs> in an un <laughs> No, okay, we can't let that slide by. And I'm, listen- I'm listening to the, our, our heater kick up behind us. We have um,
1: radiant heat. We have a heat. good old-fashioned... We have
0: radiant heat, and it's kicking on. And so that'll be kind of nice. Uh, and but you, you and the polar bear and Vincent Price. Okay,
1: there's a there's a beer advertisement from the 1980s where Vincent Price is literally just in a polar bear fur suit.
0: But you why did we do that?
1: <laughs> because for the sake just to prove a fact that you can't see it, but you know what? You can Google it if you just look up Vincent Price polar bear. You can, I
0: think it should have been Orson Welles.
1: Yeah, but Orson Welles wouldn't be a polar bear. He would be a Persian
0: cat if he was a furry. Uh huh. I, I have to tell you the truth. I wasn't very amused when I was watching the commercial. Uh, <laughs> you know, when the polar bear took off off its head to reveal Vincent Price. But we already knew Vincent Price's voice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It, it would have been funny if it's like he took it off and it was like uh, Marilyn Monroe underneath and it's like, what? No, <laughs>
0: I, I told you I wanted Orson Welles. Orson Welles needed to be underneath there. It needed to be a drunk polar bear. Every July... Beer grows bear. Now you really mean that. <laughs> you actually have done before a really good orson wells imitation yeah but
1: all my orson Welles... like all my impressions in
0: general have died except for i can only impersonate
1: two irish guys and that's it
0: no you yes that's true you can you know can impersonate gordon cole, a gordon cole da- david Lynch's gordon cole you do a Mulaney. great one and we really don't dare do that because you do it so loud it would just it would peak the mics it, it would bleeding the mics it, it like both of the microphones and you do john Mullaney like it's totally, there's, I, you know... It, it's there, completely You connect way back there somewhere with your Irish genes, right? It's subconscious. Like, I never mean for it to happen. It always happens
1: just completely on happenstance. It's like some kind of alter ego just creeping through.
0: No, it's just, no, Freudian. it's not even an alter ego. It's not, uh, it's uh, n- nothing like that. It's just like it's some something <laughs> genetic. I mean, <laughs> it's it's this Irish phenomena that, yeah, takes over and you sound exactly alike
1: i can't do it because that i can't do it
0: on demand yeah because it's too natural for you i can
1: do gordon cole but
0: i can't do that okay and this is boring i mean people don't care about our personal lives do they no they want to know about the film they will when the podcast goes on for long they want to know why they should watch the last man on earth well first of all why why they should be interested in it yeah it has vincent Price in it true But why should they be interested in Vincent Price today? Look at you. You don't know how to answer that, do you? (laughs) Okay. So we're living in uh, an unusual time. And we look out and we see empty streets in some of our cities. And uh, look
1: right out there, you know, there's no cars going through there. We anymore. have had
0: a lot less traffic, haven't we? Almost no traffic. The Can, only two times we got is, traffic, is, is car the, wrecks would happen. Is the um, whine of the radiator being yeah. picked up? Oh, let me check. Being picked up? Because it's, it's whining. And it should, ever, it would be, actually it would be kind of interesting if it started kicking into gear and, you know, doing its real music. Okay, but it's, of course it's not like in the movies. The streets aren't completely empty. There's a car passing by right by, now. Right now, and... Um, the Depending peop-
1: on the past couple of times we've even had traffic, a wreck will probably happen soon enough.
0: <laughs> and the people who aren't on the streets are inside, waiting, biding their time, hoping to flatten the curve. So the impact on the health system will not be all at once, so that everyone will not get sick all at once. Hoping not everyone will get sick, and those most at risk will not get sick.
1: It's kind of like when Cats was released. Everyone with the same mind, you know, just tried to hide until it all ended.
0: People know they don't want to lose anyone needlessly, except for... Republicans? <laughs> our president. That's all right, you know. Conservatives,
1: it's, you know, it's like, you know... We're gonna lose people. I mean, a Get little used bit to eugenics, it. apparently, according to them. You know, a little bit of genocidal eugenics. Yeah, there's a rhyme for you, genocidal eugenics. <laughs> it sounds like a school program.
0: <laughs> disease, plague, and fear of loss has been with us as far as cultural memory reaches. How disease became associated with evil spirits and demons, I don't know. They didn't know any better maybe it was as simple as god gave good things so maybe there were then evil spirits who took away the good things like health like disease that took away one's health and people one loved and that eventually became tied up with the dark and the night and with sex ew yeah succubi and incubi Incubus is a film
1: starring William Shatner where he speaks, uh, Esperanto? Was that it? Okay, so, um, ignore the obvious jump cut there because apparently mentioning Incubus starring William Shatner causes a disruption in the space-time continuum. And, as we all know, disruption in the space-time continuum results in very obvious jump cuts in podcasts.
0: Yes. In the meanwhile, we have even more reorganized our lives for the lockdown with we were talking
1: about incubuses
0: and succubuses, right? Yes, we were. But I was just mentioning I mean, that during the, the during the time lapse there. Oh yes. Uh, yes, we have even more reorganized our life situation for the lockdown. Yeah. And uh, time
1: continuum uh, time continuum shifts are very convenient that way. Uh
0: huh. <laughs> so Stephen Hawking, uh, he really should have taken more advantage of those things. <laughs> well, so we were talking about incubi and succubi. And or succubuses, as I said, with my very grammaticalness. When I was a uh, child, I thought that succubi. I thought succubus had to do with vampires that they sucked blood, and that ha- it, that's not it at all. Sucky. A succubus is underneath. It had and an incubi is over something that lies upon it's a but it, actually it is a, a, the incubi idea is the the nightmare and the nightmare that lies upon one uh and so the incubi is male and the succubi was female underneath and we'll there's a get very to that.
1: obvious crude joke that could be made here
0: but i'm not going to do it yes well i think that's <laughs> yeah so uh and so with you can even think of uh one of uh, the The painting, the um, 1781 painting by um, Henry uh, Fuseli, where you have the incubus that is sitting on the woman's chest. She's lying. uh, She's lying on her Back. bed and hanging off of it and, and there's this ugly little gremlin gremlin and there's a red curtain behind and it's twin peaks before twin peaks with the horse sticking its head the nightmare sticking its head from behind the red curtain with the big white eyes
1: the only difference is the goblin that isn't a jerk conservative who lied about his own director just to pull up dirt on him
0: i don't know what you're talking about the dwarf in twin peaks the... oh we don't need to go there <laughs> Don't don't go there, okay? I can't believe you went there. <laughs> I did. Now, an early Mesopotamian version of the succubus or the and the incubus—that's this whole idea—is Lilu, Lilu. Well, yeah, it's uh, the word. I'm not word. sure how it's pronounced. I've, I've heard it pronounced both Lilu and Lilu. It's a fun word. Gilgamesh's father, an Akkadian spirit who disturbed women in their sleep. So it's all all this, the idea, like I was saying, of plague and disease got caught up with sleep and nightmares. The Lilitu, or Lilitu, Lilitu I don't know how you pronounce it, was the female version, and it may be related to the biblical Lilith, about which a great deal has been written um, as her concern, you know, concerning her being Adam's first wife, though she was only mentioned once in Isaiah and where she's a creature of the wasteland perhaps a screech owl or a night monster no one is quite sure how to translate it you had bowls covered in spiral script uh, uh, concerning Lilith and um, other demons actually where they were buried upside down below thresholds and below th- floors with the hope of catching the demon such as a Lilith and it reminds of an early function of the maze. It's
1: literally it's a mouse trap for demonic entities. Yeah, like, where
0: the maze, yeah, it trap was the demon would get trapped and couldn't find their way out, right?
1: I was thinking just a mouse trap where you would just snatch it by the tail, like the bowl will just go. <laughs>
0: Well, that's your—that's your reasoning. That never would have occurred to me that you would have the bowl. No, the bowl is buried. How's it going to? The bowl is buried beneath the threshold. It's buried beneath the floor. Okay, the demon will bump its head on the bowl while trying to crawl up from hell. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. There supposed to trap it where it can't come up. Okay. In the list of Sumerian kings, it said. The lilu who wanders in the plain. They have come nigh unto a suffering man on the outside. They have brought about a painful malady in the body. YouTube, like I said, is was where I'm relying on for the pronunciation, and it is even in one video that gives the pronunciation is uncertain itself. One video says it gives the uh, lilu, and says, and um, the video says lilu the girl of your dreams, <laughs> all that you could ever hope to ask for. <laughs> then it switches pronunciation saying, Chris is so lucky to have Leelu in his life. If he's smart, he'll never let her go. So we're I love
1: not- how they shifted to like a dating profile description. Like if l- 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 whatever it is, is on OkCupid or something, mm-hmm. the girl of your dreams. It's like the way they like pitch it in like one of those things where it's like, you can either pick a new car or the Lilu, the girl of your dreams. Which one will be behind which curtain? That's for you to find out.
0: Now, the, with the ancient Sumerian, it meant ghost, something a haunting, and became eventually became associated with the wind. So, uh, so that you had Enlil. I guess that's how you pronounce it. These are words that you know. I've mainly read all my life, okay? Uh, A Mesopotamian god associated with the wind, air and storms. And it would seem that Robert Matheson, who wrote, what did he write? I Am Legend. And? Which the last man on earth was based on, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, It would seem that he drew upon this for his version where the vampires are caused, they realize they're caused by a bacteria that is spread by the wind. And some of this enters the movie, but not so prominent, not very prominently. Uh, But in the book, you get the sense of the dust storms, the wind, um, and they're still trying to figure out if it is carried by the wind. Mm -hmm. But the wind is very important in the book. And you don't have that in the movie. You don't have the whistling wind. You don't have and it would be really cool if they had done that.
1: Oh, but the film, didn't they more or less just sort of imply that the virus is basically spread from the vampire bites, kind of later on?
0: Yeah. I. Th- I uh uh-huh. They just kind of
1: ditched that.
0: You know, actually, I, it's funny, even though I just watched it again two days ago, I can't. Uh, I I know that they mentioned some. I think they mentioned something about the wind, but I can't remember very it's so, well. It's just sort of like,
1: hey, Morgan, you sure it's this thing where it
0: could be spread by wind, and then eventually Ben's just sort of like there's people rising from the grave, you know. So, with the succubus and the incubus, with uh, with um, Adam and with Lilith, they even you even had. Um, we were also talking about just uh, a matter of dominance, a matter also of social position as far as women are concerned. All right, uh, because Lilith in the Abbot, um, the Alphabet of Ben sirah from the ninth century, which is said to be satirical. Um, has Adam and Lilith beginning to fight. And sh- uh, she says, I will not lie below. And he says, I will not lie beneath you, but only on top, for you are fit only to be in the bottom position, while I am to be the superior one. <laughs> to which Lilith responded, we are equal to each other inasmuch as we were both created from the earth.
1: This is literally the bedroom talk that Adam would bring up in like the bar, where people would just be like, Adam, shut up. We don't need to know about this. Keep
0: this shit in the bedroom. (laughs) But Adam... So Adam would not listen. And so Lilith flew away. Okay? And then Eve was... You know, Eve ended up being made where she's made from Adam's rib. But originally, Lilith, the first wife, was equal because they were both made from the same clay. And Lilith turned into a really bad guy because Lilith... Would come back. The idea of Lilith is that she killed children, infants, is that she uh, drank their blood, which is a very vampiric thing. But it's also just energy consumption of energy, taking away of the life force. People becoming sick, the
1: thing funny you know, about and
0: that not knowing why. You've got people becoming sick. You've got the demon. The Thing that's funny about that is
1: that sort of stuff is even mirrored in like Balinese mythology because. There is a specific myth in Balinese mythology about this this undead witch creature, kind of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where its head comes off. And oh it, yeah, I know that. It drinks the blood of infants while they're still in their mothers, mm-hmm. but the name of the demon, or at least like the leader of the demons, is literally
0: called Widow. Oh. Widow. Yes. Well, that's going to have to do with... Ragna. Uh... Ragna? Which, uh, from what I recall, translates to widow. Oh, okay. All right. So it wasn't, it was called Ragna, which translates to widow. It wasn't called widow in as much as you had colonization. um, No, 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 no. It was called
1: Ragna, which translates to widow in English.
0: Okay. I wonder if that's always been around or if um, colonization brought in some of those Hmm. uh, ideas. I don't know. People took the idea of angels very seriously, and thus of demons. You had St. Augustine of Hippo in the early 5th century. He wrote about angels in his book, The City of God, under chapter 23, which was titled, Whether we are to believe that angels, who are of a spiritual substance, fell in love with the beauty of women and sought them in marriage, and that from this connection giants were born. (laughs) And so he talks about uh, demons there, that trustworthy people could have their experience corroborated, believing in them. The thing I
1: find especially (laughs) hilarious about that is uh, we're talking about original angels here, and original angels are terrifying. They're freaky. Yeah, they were freaky. Like, there was, like, a video I saw which was about, like, um, lemon experience, like, that sort of surreal philosophy, but it talked about how, like, these descriptions of, like, angels and divine beings were just, like, completely horrific and like how you know like the visions that you know people would describe and stuff basically sound like lovecraftian horror experiences or something Mm -hmm. i just find that funny
0: but from early on i think they were generally they were uh they would have wings oh they would have seven wings mm, yeah or hundreds of them or of it, or like a snake tail behind it or something like that you had also the idea with romans and greeks what was equivalent to Lilith, they were the Lamia. The Lamy. The Lamey. John Malamey. <laughs> my pronunciation is going to go, okay, this is, this is, okay. <laughs> they were ancient sorceresses. They devoured children and drank their blood. They were sometimes perceived as being part serpent. With Roman mythology, you had the Lemuries. And that was cognate with larvae. It was from a word for mask, larva. And it was, uh, I think, the idea of frightening. Ovid said they were vagrant, unsatiated ancestral spirits. So if you you had your great, great, great granddad coming around and was not satisfied with, he was hungry. (laughs) He wanted more. And so, but... Leave a donut out for grandma. Exactly. Leave a donut out for granny. uh Uh-huh. And and actually, in some societies, uh, you have where you leave out portions of food Mm -hmm. for ancestral spirits. Think of it with God, the whole idea of Christianity, making the offerings. Mm Mm-hmm. So you've got this deity to whom you make these offerings. But apparently God mainly eats money. And so you had... (laughs) Yeah. And with the demons, I suppose, you were kind of... With the uh, Lemrys, you were making these offerings to make them go away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you have that at Halloween, too. Making offerings to them so that they will go away and leave you alone. So what you're saying is, children are actually demons. It all makes sense now. All right. (laughs) I don't feel like I have really sufficiently covered that very well. You have. But I'm going to leap forward many centuries now to the 19th century. And 1816, and John William Polidori's The Vampire, which is, some people refer to it as being the first modern vampire novel.
1: Eva Barrow or Camilla?
0: Camilla, yes, uh uh-huh. Yeah, I read that a couple of years ago. Did I'm that a... come
1: up before or after?
0: You know, I don't remember. I This was written in 1816. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when Camilla was written. Okay. Should I look it up? No, not right now. Okay. So, Polidori was Lord Byron's doctor. And, in fact, the novel was first attributed to Lord Byron. And I don't think, maybe it would not have been as popular if it had not been attributed to Lord Byron. Mm-hmm. So, it was attributed to him... But Polidori was the one who wrote it. The vampiric figure in the novel was based on Lord Byron, which says something about Lord Byron. It
1: gets even more funny the more you read into it. Like the more you hear about the plot line.
0: <laughs> Should we talk about the plot line? Should yes. we talk about Lord
1: Ruthven? God, <laughs> War- name Ruthven. It sounds I- like something you have to say if a list like. Hello, my name is Lord (laughs) Ruthven. Yeah, well, you might
0: since it's uh, spelled R U T H V E N. You might see think of it as being Ruthven, but it's Ruthven. Apparently, (laughs) Ruthven is a Scottish name. Aubrey meets Lord Ruthven. Aubrey is an Englishman, and Ruthven goes around seducing women. Aubrey goes to Rome, and Ruthven follows. He seduces a woman there. Aubrey goes to Greece. He falls in love with the innkeeper's daughter. Oh, like in the wicker man. (laughs) Yes. Almost the uh, the lyric, but not quite. Can you sing it for us? The innkeeper's daughter. No, you can't sing it for us. You really can't, can you? How does it go? I'm trying to remember. The song is is slipping my head. The landlord's daughter. Yeah, uh uh-huh, the beer song. Yeah, Okay, I forgot the rest of it. Anyway, I I only remember summaries of coming in. I remember that only always. That's not even a thing that they wrote. But she tells Aubrey. She tells Aubrey Legends of the Vampire. And then Ruthven kills her. Only Aubrey doesn't know it's Ruthven that kills her. And then Ruthven and Aubrey are traveling. And they are attacked by bandits. And Ruthven, he's dying. And he tells Aubrey that he cannot talk about him for a year and a day. Not just a year, but a year and a day. What about a and year and Aubrey, 23
1: hours and 51 minutes? No, oh, it has
0: to be a year and a day. And so Aubrey promises him he will not talk about him. It's, a, it's a, one of those oaths made to him, you know, a dying friend. That then, so he goes back to England. Ruthven has died, but then Ruthven shows up, and Aubrey, even though Ruthven has died, Aubrey can't talk about this because Aubrey has made this vow and it's noble to keep a vow. You cannot break a vow.
1: This'll prove just how stupid he is later on down the line.
0: And Ruthven seduces his sister, Aubrey's sister, and then marries her. And it was like, it's like the year and a day has passed. He has married her, it's the wedding night, and now, what do they find? They find Aubrey's sister dead. Dun, dun, and her dun. blood drained from her, dun, dun, and Ruthven has disappeared. Ba-da-da. All because, what? Aubrey did not warn his sister. He was a wimp. Well, I wouldn't exactly call him, I mean, a wimp. Is that what you call somebody who, wh- who okay, is so a stupid a not to he's break a, dumb, a He's a dumbo. Okay. So, the reason we go into this is that Polidori's the vampire, spawned a vampire craze. Oh, there's
1: one more thing I have to say, which yeah. I love the fact that, you know, you mentioned that it was probably based on Lord Byron. I like the fact that this whole novel is probably just him going, Hey, Byron, look at what I got here.
0: Mm. And the va- that vampire craze spawned, what? Bram Stoker's... *Snorfest*. I mean Dracula, Dracula <laughs> which was an absolute snore fest. We tried to read it once. We both No, read. we listened to it. Actually. We read it at first. We read it at first and then we got an audiobook because we were so bored trying to read it together. It was many years ago. How old were you? Oh god, I don't even know. I saw all the hammer films 13, at that You were 13, maybe 13, 14. 14. And so so we got an audiobook and we listened to it. And,
1: and we fell asleep literally just before they killed Dracula.
0: And I don't know how that happened because we were sitting at our desks and <laughs> we yet we actually,
1: fell asleep. We literally fell asleep at our desks and I remember we both woke up and we were like, "Oh, wait. The book's over because you you have like this melodramatic end monologue. It was, just, it was just sort of like, oh, let's see how the deaf vampire was. It was just sort of like, and when we put the stake in him, he smiled. It was just sort of like, see,
0: I don't remember that at all, but I remember reading the book when I was a teenager and I was just as disappointed. Uh, I was, what, 14, uh, 15 years of age, and I, I read through and it was like, this is Dracula. From which we got all these movies. All these great movies. <laughs> all
1: these great in their own different ways movies. Some are genuinely good and some are just... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Some are genu- genu- you know, genuinely, genuinely good. really bad. I remember when we first started reading it, I, I looked for like the first couple sentences and I thought, did we accidentally get like some kind of Dracula fan fiction? <laughs> I legitimately thought that because... It read no different to me than, like, one of those DeviantArt fanfictions where partway through is a sort of like, but then I met Dracula's son, who was like a black, streaky-haired anime boy with a large sword, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I was just expecting that to come in partway
0: through, you know? And so here, with Dracula, uh, we get into the problem of the seductive demon as versus the horrible, ugly demon. Because Dracula was a terrible creature and, and associated with the plague. Mm-hmm. In Bram Stoker's novel, he brought plague with him to England, you know, the rats on the ship.
1: I completely forgot they did that. I literally don't remember anything about the book. Apparently well, they had like, a cowboy
0: but, but, you in know, it. But, you know, from Nosferatu, you, you worked on the oh, Nosferatu yeah. films a lot when you were a teenager. Oh, yeah. Uh, studying the editing. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, and the thing is Nosferatu. You practiced on them. Uh, you edited mm-hmm. music to them several yeah. different times because you were you were so fascinated with the movie Nosferatu is Dracula, but actually done right. 1922 German Expressionism Nosferatu uh, by they finally got the Murnau. Story right. uh, d- the director Murnau mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Max Schreck playing Count Orlok. I can't believe they had Schreck act as a vampire. <laughs> so you had the very. Ugly, terrible vampire, still. Who then, looks, he kind of has, uh, I
1: forgot why I heard this one, but I think they try to give him like more rat like features in that film.
0: Okay, yeah. Is that true or? No, that makes sense. Or bat like, either of those two. Right. And then America. Now, the Dr- Dracula comes to America, and what happens? You end up with 1931, Bella Lugosia, in the movie Dracula, and he's this sophisticated count. And he's supposedly attractive, I guess, to people. Then, as attractive
1: as Bela Lugosi could get, I guess. Uh, I don't
0: know whether I don't know how people found him attractive, but they did. <laughs> he's dolled up in his tuxedo and his cape. I would I would have thought that this had something to do with the Great Depression of 1929. Mm-hmm. But this was actually based on a 1924 play. And the reason Bela Lugosi plays uh, the Dracula in the movie is because he played that part on Broadway.
1: There's uh, two things I have to bring up. Mm-hmm. First of all, 1930s Dracula. Dracula has three things in this castle that are very special. What? Armadillos. <gasps>
0: Yes, Nosferatu, the armadillo. No, 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 Dracula. That's right. The armadillo. What am I talking about? Nosfer- no no, of course, yes, Dracula. You showed me that the other night because I haven't watched that film since I was a child. I hated the Dracula. I hated Bela Lugosi, so I haven't seen that since I was a child. And then you showed me the little coffin. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 don't spoil it. Don't spoil okay. it. Okay. So they
1: have um armadillos. Yes possums possums, (laughs) and tiny little bees with their own specially made bee coffins i
0: know that's remarkable bees with their own tiny little coffins that they're crawling out of were these vampire bees i have how would that work (laughs) i should watch that movie i should have watched that movie before we did this so that i could be able to talk i would be really be able to talk about it it also
1: um it it somewhat infamously has this one scene where when dracula comes to bite I forgot if it was Lucy or Mina. I think it was Lucy. She has this big thing of cardboard right in front of the lamp by her bed. This huge strip of cardboard. And it wasn't, like, accidental. You see in production stills also. No one knows why it's there.
0: Yeah, it's there, but the, the, the bee is much more interesting, oh, yes. actually. And the armadillos, what are the armadillos <laughs> yeah. doing there? And
1: for the possums! And there's one more thing, too. There was another Dracula adaption before Nosferatu. What was that? Um, in a fil- 19- a in- film? Yes. Before in-
0: Nosferatu?
1: Yeah. I forgot it was in the 1900s or 1910s, but there was a, I think it was a Polish film, I think, called Dracula's Death. And what that film was about... What, what
0: year? Because Nosferatu was... Really- it was at
1: least from like the 1910s. Okay. It was before Caligari, if I recall correctly. It was about... Well, Caligari was later than Nosferatu. No, it was actually before. nineteen twenty.
0: Really? Yes. Okay, alright. So, right. um,
1: Dracula's Death is about a woman condemned to a male hospital who is being stalked by Dracula. And if I f- recall correctly, I think she's eventually brought out of a hospital, she's, like, abducted from a hospital by Dracula or something. hmm But the idea is, like, she's having hallucinations of Dracula.
0: And it, Yeah, and with the, Bram, uh, with the Bram Stoker novel, you ended up having insanity associated with Dracula, with vampirism. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: The thing that's weird about it, though, is it's not a direct adoption. That's the thing that apparently wasn't really done that much back then. Like, there was okay. also a Frankenstein adoption before the Boris Karloff Well, we don't one. need to get into okay. Frankenstein. Okay. That's
0: a totally they just, different... They
1: just didn't directly adapt the novels back okay. then. And even with Nosferatu, Bram Stoker's wife tried to get that film... Completely shut down and yes, destroyed did. Uh-huh. because it was unlicensed.
0: So let's get back to uh, let's get back to talking about where because we're still we're we're pro- we're progressing towards the last man on Earth and uh, kind of where the Cold War and radiation uh, radiation is born on the air airborne. Well, yes, I was thinking, of course I'm thinking of airborne, <laughs> but I had something more poetic in my head and it just kind of went, went by. It, it, it went down with the wind. We're progressing towards where we end up having these the empty city sy- syndrome and where the Cold War has to do with the airborne invisible threat that comes and it makes everybody kind of disappear.
1: You have that in Nosferatu too when the city was infected by the plague, where you only had the people with the coffins out there. The Mm -hmm. people carrying the coffins, you had that too.
0: Mm hmm But in Werner Herzog's Nosferatu, you had everybody... Oh yeah, they all had a party. But it was the plague party in the courtyard. Yeah. Werner Herzog's Nosferatu, uh, which is beautiful, you return to the idea of the ugly vampire, and you have everybody who's partying in the courtyard, Town center mm-hmm. uh-huh that's different than the streets being emptied of people
1: well and, I mean the original Nosferatu the streets are emptied okay you basically I remember very specifically there was like this one scene where
0: okay no 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 we are we okay. are straying too far you... away that, that that's really too much energy going into all of that we cut out I'm a now... sidetrack okay what
1: we just cut out a sidetrack here just okay. in case we have to do that
0: now we will talk about the film, very briefly, the first film about emptied streets, the nuclear holocaust film 5, post-apocalyptic, where 1951, and you have the big drawing card of that one is that you had five last people on earth, four men and one woman, one woman, one woman, one woman, one woman, one woman four men and one woman, and she's pregnant. But, um so it could be one woman if it's a girl anyway I've gotten I've lost a little bit of focus here <laughs> because I'm thinking of five and I've I studied that so much because I want to do we I have special do,
1: surprises about that one
0: we're gonna do our own another episode on five
1: we have some special really stupid surprises and so for I don't want
0: I don't want to talk about that anymore I okay. just mentioned that that it was the first empty streets empty town okay
1: shift gears shift gears on the vehicle make a turn to the, the last, World, the Flesh, and the Devil. Oh. Yes.
0: The the World, the Flesh, and the Devil. And that actually had sidetracked... That was from
1: 1959.
0: Mm-hmm. Ronald is uh, directed it. That's a name. In that film, once again, you have the invisible radioactive sodium isotopes that are used as a weapon. And you end up with three remaining people on Earth. Two men and a woman. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be the men that are going to fight over the woman. But, this one has a huge racial component to it.
1: Well, them is Harry Belafonte.
0: In the end, they end up walking all together, you know, into the, you know... It's a weirdly happy sunset. ending for a apocalyptic film. Right. They get over the uh, racial division, and uh, Mel Farrar doesn't end up wanting to kill Harry Belafonte. He really re- realizes that he doesn't need to do that.
1: I think of, like, the, the three main films of, like, post-apocalyptic stuff with... Knife Living Dead, Last Man on Earth, and The World of Flesh and the Devil. The Devil one's the only one with a happy ending because both Last Man on Earth and Knive Living Dead, they don't end too well.
0: Mm-hmm. The thing is, what we're losing—not for the characters. What I'm I getting mean. away from here, and I keep picturing in my head, is I keep picturing all these empty streets and yeah. The, uh, you know, just all this emptiness, and that's that's the, going from one film to the next. Yeah. And these ones had big racial components. Actually, you had a racial component in five, so it's interesting that you had in these post-apocalyptic scenarios with the with the last people on Earth, you had race that was brought into it.
1: It could be, like, the competing nations. Like, that's what they could be thinking of.
0: No, I don't think so. I think um, they were trying to deal with race relations then, and so they were bringing in race into it. Okay. uh, A matter of equality. Mm -hmm. And so... I
1: think it was definitely a case in, like, World of Flesh and the Devil and Night of Living Dead, but um, I just don't know about Five because I haven't seen it.
0: Do we need to get into the World of Flesh and the Devil anymore? Or do you want to discuss that further with Five?
1: No, just go right okay into.
0: We'll, we'll we'll leave that one behind anyway the last man on earth actually the world of flesh and the devil had kind of uh sidelined what would have been the equivalent of the last man on earth for a while was it the director who wanted to make something like it and then he didn't because there was already the world the flesh and the devil no it wasn't the director it was lippert who wanted to do it let me take a look back on that excuse me I'm looking back on this. (laughs) Okay, all right. Fritz Lang was originally said to be slated to direct it. It was directed, by, however, by Sidney Salkow and an Italian Ubaldo Ragona. Anthony Hines had purchased the rights for Hammer Film Productions. Matheson wrote the script. British censors didn't permit it, so the script was um, sold to Robert Lippert. Lippert wanted to do a last man on Earth film for a while, but that was derailed by the world, the flesh and the devil, okay? And th- so now've got the last man on Earth with Richard Matheson's that he decides to do, in which Matheson ended up disowning as by way of only attaching his pseudonym to it, Logan Swanson. There were rewrites that were done and he thought Vincent Price was miscast. Later, he said he thought Harrison Ford should have starred and George Miller should have directed, but that would have been difficult as this was filmed back in 1963, and Harrison Ford would have been like 20, 21 years of age, and George Miller would have been a teenager. The last college student on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that doesn't make any sense.
1: <laughs> it's been like the last college... Could, okay, then, it would be like the last high school student on Earth. I don't know.
0: Oh, yes, he could have done the last high school student on Earth. That would have been good. Okay. Total
1: bummer, man. Like, we're out Doritos and stuff. I got to fight for all these vampires, dude. I uh-huh. hope I find, like, a Nirvana CD on the way there. You do
0: end up having a kind of beatnik vibe to The Last Man on Earth. And we'll get to that in a little while. So... If you were going to go see The Last Man on Earth based on the theatrical posters, the U.S. theatrical posters, it would be a totally, you would be wondering, what am I seeing here? (laughs) The theatrical poster showed a gothic Victorian mansion of the type that you associate with Hitchcock's 1960 Psycho, right? There is no such mansion in the film, ever, at all. He's in a little, like, suburban Italian house. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And the selling point, again, is always the last man on Earth and the last woman. And the hype was, do you dare imagine what it would be like to be the last man on Earth or the last woman? Mm -hmm. Alive among the lifeless. Alone among the crawling creatures of Mm -hmm. evil that make the night hideous with their inhuman craving. Exclamation mark. And... By night, they leave their graves, crawling, scrambling through empty streets, whimpering, pleading, begging for his blood. <laughs> Morgan. Actually, they just want to kill him. <laughs> They're basically
1: just like, it's great because of a film. But it's just these vampires that are just, you know, no like grace at all. They're just like Morgan. But nobody come knows out. who Morgan
0: is. Neville is the protagonist. In the mm-hmm. novel, and he is the last man on earth. He is immune. Everybody else, has, he believes, has succumbed. They are part van- They are, they are, um, they die and they come back. And they are vampires. They are the undead. So they are really, they are like the first zombies. And this film inspired Night of Living Dead. Yes. Uh huh. That a, a, and
1: the world of flesh and the devil in a more. Really obvious way with the themes.
0: It didn't inspire the the world. In- no, I mean, I mean, I
1: mean, I mean, <laughs> Night of the Living Dead was inspired by World of Flesh and Medieval in very obvious ways. Oh, I th- Okay, I get. What I you, I, yes. I stumbled. I you mis- stumbled there, right? i, I mis- uh-huh. <laughs> yes, it was
0: inspired by both. But George Romero talks has talked about this yeah, film yeah. inspiring. Yeah, um, I
1: just know that at this point, some commenters are already raging about that mispronunciation I did there for a second.
0: <laughs> Matheson was also responsible for The Incredible Shrinking Man of 1957, based on his 56th novel, The Shrinking Man. He adapted a number of Edgar Allan Poe stories. For uh, Uh, Roger Roger Corman. Corman. Um, He did uh, Duel, uh, the script for Duel, 1971 uh, Steven Spielberg film.
1: That was apparently a short story of his, too.
0: That that was just incredible. It was an incredible film. I remember watching that as a teenager.
1: The only Steven Spielberg film that's worthwhile.
0: And he did the Star Trek episode, The Enemy Within, and where Kirk splits into a Dr. Jekyll, uh, Jekyll Hyde figure. But the more good importantly, and the they have
1: that goofy-looking horned dog. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, they do. But he's, he, so you've got the, and the bad thing about that is you've got the good side of Kirk is this weak, indecisive man. The meek. So it's the meek one. It's like the good man is the one that no woman wants. You the put one him who gets shoved in the shove side, locker. And it, the bad man <laughs> is the one who's strong. He's the one who is decisive and is able to make the decisions, you know. The strong, evil Kirk needs the good, anemic Kirk in order to live. They have to both be bonded together. It's it's, like the... But you've got this really bad thing going on there where you've got the good man is a weak man. And it's the bad man who is the strong man. It's two
1: things. It's a proto-Incel structure. Yeah. And it is also the dynamic between Bluto and Napoleon Dynamite. (laughs) Bluto from Popeye. You have to fuse them to make the perfect human. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. That, I would never have... Uh, I would, I, I'm uh,
1: sorry. I just, I just, for some reason, that just popped up in my brain. There's one more thing I have to mention about The Last Man on Earth, and that is um, okay. it is... Vincent Price is like the only American actor in the film. The rest of it is completely Italian, and once you realize that, it is the most obviously 60s Italian film you could ever imagine.
0: It's absolutely wonderful that way. And it's actually... the film. It's an interesting film. Let's go ahead and say... Uh, Neville in the novel becomes Morgan. His wife has died. Their their daughter has died. He's the last one. He's holed up in this house. Nightly the vampires come around and he sits inside the house, you know, having to put up with hearing them call out Morgan, 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 because he's Morgan in the movie. But it's not really spooky, during, it's just more like d- during the day he goes out and he finds them and he kills them. Stakes them. Right. So the movie itself is in very nice black and white. Yeah. And the now, but the as far as it's filming, it's it's done in a very stage style. Every scene will be one shot. Yeah. And the editing is just a matter of gluing together these different scenes. He's in this room; it's one shot. He goes to the next room; it's another shot. And so the, there's it doesn't have complex editing. You yeah. You don't have a lot of uh, you don't have a complexity of close-up, medium shot stuff like that.
1: There's only like one, like out of the top of my head. There's like
0: one close-up I mainly remember. That's mm-hmm. when he's making mistakes. Yeah, he does that, and there and there are a couple. There's some others, but they're very not, not complex editing. You would basically like there's, like
1: with a flashback. They literally just zoomed into his face to get the close-up for that.
0: They have kind of nonsensical narration. It doesn't need to be there because it is very visual. You kind of know what's going on. Neville, you know, he puts the, he hangs, you see the garlic hanging on the door. You know immediately that it's vampires. Here's what I don't understand about Morgan's house. It's been three years, it's supposed to be 1968, and it's been December 1965 to September 1968 now. He's been living by himself for three years with Mm -hmm. the vampires assailing him every single night. And his house, you've got these boards randomly nailed up over the windows <laughs> and the doors, where it's it's all pell mell, and you cannot tell me with the kind of person that uh, Morgan Morgan is that he would not have gone out and. He doesn't even have to buy them. He goes right into, and get, picks up some metal shutters. Yeah. And, you know, he could have put metal shutters up on his house and, you know, installed metal doors, and everything would have been fine. He would not yeah. have to worry about vampires coming by and, and trying to break in between the boards. I don't understand this, why they have just the boards.
1: He's too busy with his internal monologue. <laughs> that That's one thing that got me about the film, the internal monologue he constantly has, because... The way he's describing everything, he's describing it like he's seeing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like, at this point, he should just kind of be used to everything that's going on around him, in a way. Like, I know, it's Vincent Price, he (laughs) wants Vincent Price to talk, but... I think if they had to do the internal monologue, if they want to put some dark comedy in there... Happen where he's just thinking complete... Well, this
0: wasn't dark comedy. They didn't want dark comedy. Oh, and he when, has, they had, when they had him listening to the he, jazz
1: music while the... <laughs>
0: no, that's his breaking... He, get, he gets these breaking points. You know, yes, mm-hmm. he's used to things going on, or he's used to all the death and everything, but he yeah. has his breaking points. This is not, believe me. Okay, well, There I'm was not supposed if, to be any dark, dark comedy to this I'm just film. saying,
1: if they wanted to have any narration, the narration would have to be very bleak. Like, it doesn't even have to be exactly funny, but just, mm-hmm. like, bleak self-aware kind of stuff. Like, he's just sort of thinking random, everyday thoughts where it's just sort of like, the vampires don't even really come to mind when he's like doing all the stuff. He's instead just sort of like, oh, maybe I should go get some milk and see if they have some milk left over in the frozen section or stuff like that, you know what I mean?
0: He does have a generator at a supermarket he keeps running and there's a big room there, you know, um, With all the frozen...
1: with all the stuff frozen.
0: Yeah, uh uh-huh. But, and he goes out every day to to get supplies of garlic, and he c- gathers up the bodies in the streets, and he takes them to a great... It's almost like this great... It's almost like hell. I don't know how it continues. They just show him throwing into this big pit one...
1: Body after another.
0: One body after another, and a little bit of gasoline, and they, yet you've got smoke rising and rising like it's this eternally burning hell fire receiving the corpses of the dead the demons you know the vampires what I don't understand either is that when he throws them in you can see they have to burn because mm-hmm. that's the thing that gets you know that really takes care of it is burning the bodies but uh, you also have you've got dead bodies littering side of the cliff that haven't completely <laughs> fallen down into the flames and you know but he's pitching them into you know right
1: it's during the days we just didn't quite feel like kicking them all away but there is actually a place like that in real life
0: oh i know right That's yeah right. there's that um burning pit right in russia
1: i think it's called the door to hell actually okay there's uh last thing i'm gonna say about the narration the narration feels like the result of a failed test screening like the producer just sort of walked out was like I Yeah, it's an okay movie, I guess, but I don't get it. it who was the last man on Earth again? Was it uh, was it Vincent Price? I thought he was a vampire of how everyone hated him. Oh, you don't get any of the film, do you? No, have him talk about it or something. Make, put in narration.
0: But or, you do have a question of the bad guy. Let's yeah, yeah. put it this way. You do have a question what, of, what? of who's the bad guy at the end, and how do we get <laughs> there? We're about to discuss well, this. So we have Italy. Vincent Price in Italy. This is supposed to be California, I think, but it's obviously <laughs> Italy. So at one point, a poodle shows up. It's live. It's a real live poodle. The poodle runs off, and you have Vincent Price following it because, you know, it's a dog. It's a dog, you know, and it's, it's not a vampire. So he goes chasing after mm-hmm. it. It carries him into a part of the city where you can see this neighborhood. It's Rome's EUR district. It was a modernist suburb created by Mussolini, and you can see behind Vincent Price this water tower. It's a War of the Worlds water tower. It was finished in 1960. It was called the Mushroom, (laughs) but it looks like one of the soaring monster uh, tripods from the early illustrated versions of the War of the Worlds, and it's standing up behind him. Once again, you kind of have that germ warfare, finally, with War of the Worlds, because it's Mm -hmm. the, the... uh, oh yeah, the aliens die of the human a- aliens die. Yeah, of human sickness. So you have um, you realize? Oh my goodness! I was watching that, and at this time, I went, "Oh, Laclis," Michelangelo Antonioni's film Laclis, that was released January first, nineteen sixty-two, and it had the same empty street idea at the end i felt then that you had a weird influence there going into the last man on earth and let me explain this more fully first i had to look it up and most people were saying that the last man on earth was filmed in 1961 and 1962 in uh rome which would have made it impossible for laclise to have an influence on the film and i felt like no there is an influence here because laclise Throughout the film, you have a sense of alienation, and the alienation between men and women, and the alienation of modern society. At the end, you have the city, Rome, and this suburb, this modern suburb, and night is falling. And it's very silent, very quiet. And you have this occasional person, and you have a look of suspicion on people's faces when you can see them sometimes and then somebody gets off a bus. Antonioni clearly shows the headline on the newspaper, which is the atomic race. So you have the Cold War there. You have an ominous sense of dread. What's going on? Night following. Very few people out on the street. You feel like the streets are emptying. And you don't even feel the people so much in their homes, but a few people going off to their homes here and there. Intense isolation. And I thought this had to have influenced this film, that vacant city. And then it turns out, I found where Vincent Price's daughter, she had written about Vincent Price working on the film. He had worked on it in 1963. So that puts it in a time frame where you already have LeCleese out, having a possible influence on this film. And here's one reason I will also bring it up again, is because when do we, when do we see the War of the Worlds water tower behind Vincent Price. And he's chasing the dog. He's trying to find the dog around other areas in this suburb. It's like I said, it's when he's pursuing the poodle. And then he goes home. He doesn't find the poodle. he goes back home. And then the poodle comes and it lies in his yard. And it turns out the poodle is sick. And he goes ahead and he stakes it and he kills it. And that's how he comes across the woman who is alive. The thing is, is that in LaCleece, you also have a poodle where Monica Vitti has to go, the poodle goes running off, and they have to go chasing after the poodle and it's night. And she goes chasing after the poodle to try to find it, and she ends up out alone in the city, standing there listening to the flagpoles and other things. It's a it's a really it's a magical scene with all the lights of the the, the street lights all around her. But anyway, you've got the same Black Poodle. I think there's an homage going on there. You have nothing to say. I haven't seen not seen. You haven't seen LaCleese, so you can't talk about it, can you? Morgan comes across. Morgan. Morgan comes across, who is... There's one thing I have to mention. What? Uh, With it being
1: a tiny production, there's one thing that hit me while watching the film. So, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that they dubbed in the actors... Outside of Vincent Price? hmm I swear, I think it's the voice actress who did Vincent Price's wife in the film. Who voiced his wife? hmm I think she voiced one of the characters in The Bloody Pit of Horror, which was also an Italian production.
0: Well, you could probably find that out.
1: I don't know where you can find, like, okay. info on, like, who did the voiceover for these All films, right. because they only credit the live-action actors on IMDb. But, um, I don't know, like, what kind of size they would have for, like, you know, actors who would do voiceover for these Italian productions, because both Last Night on Earth and The Blight Pit of were Italian productions but were made for American markets. They were made to look more kind of American, like, you know, Blight Pit of is especially apparent, because, like, um, they, I think they had, like, some American model... Kind of thing like one of as what Was it Mr. America? What was it again?
0: Yeah, what kind of been? I don't know. But for as far as the Last Man on Earth, you've got English signage everywhere. it's, yeah. it's definitely supposed to be California. But mm-hmm. then you've got uh, you've got the War of the Worlds. You know, Italian water tower standing up there. It's definitely. And then you've got other very definite Italian landmarks, architectural landmarks throughout. But I swear, but
1: um, I swear that the voice. Actress who played Vin- uh, Vincent Price's right. wife is um, specifically in the Blade of Horror. There's this one woman who this is gonna be terrible. I call her the sheep because she has like this white bob cut that's mm-hmm. cut at the front, so she just has these two sheep ears going down at the side of her head. So I call her the sheep for that exact reason, <laughs> or the lamb actually, the lamb. And it, it has nothing to do with the film, you know, she just looks like one, it's weird. But the voice actor who played her the girl up with the white hair and a blade pit of horror is the same voice actor who played Morgan's wife before she dies.
0: Okay. So the thing is that that's exciting to you to realize that whereas to me it's, it was very exciting to sit there and go, "Oh my goodness, that we've got a Antonioni reference that I mean this is being influenced by Leclese where you we would never even you would never usually imagine The Last Man on Earth this B film.
1: With Vincent Price.
0: With Vincent Price having been influenced by LeCleese. It may as well have
1: been like a B picture with uh, The Pit and the Pendulum because I think that was an Italian production too, right? It was? The Pit and the Pendulum? Okay. I think it was the same director.
0: Let's get back though to, um, are you sure? I think so. Oh, right. Well, never mind. It could be wrong. Let's get back, though, to this woman. So he discovers this woman, and this is very different from in the book. In the book, he's suspicious of her. He's suspicious of her story. She's out in the daylight. She shouldn't be a vampire. She can't be a vampire because she's out in the daylight, but he's suspicious of her story. And as it turns out, he does find out in both the book and the film that she is a vampire, but they have, what would you say, they have medicine that they've been taking. She belongs to a group of people where they have been able to partly heal their condition. Not, you know, it it's more like they're able to, what?
1: I, I was just going to correct myself. um Pendulum was not an Italian production. I didn't think. Um, it was written by the guy who did Last Mile on Earth's screenplay. You know, the guy who wrote I Am Legend. He did the screenplay for that, but... um. What I was thinking was. Yeah, he,
0: I, like I said, he did yeah. a
1: number of Edgar Allan Poe. What I, what I got confused with was um The pendulum the apparently heavily influenced Italian filmmakers. Like, it specifically okay. inspired the. It was like a partial inspiration on like how directors like Dario Argento and Mario Bava did their
0: stuff. It was a horrifying film for the time. Yeah. So, in the book, she makes clear that she belongs to a society of people. They almost sound like drones, like a society of. And this is, this is where you get kind of weirdly political because you all, it almost sounds like it's making a comparison with communism, socialism, whatever, fascism. I can't tell. It's just so weird because it, it sounds like more of a commune of people where they are all alike by this disease and the fact that they have to take something to keep from becoming vampires completely. They have held that at bay. She takes pills in the book in the movie she has they, a vaccine they, and uh, yes but the way that they do it in the movie at the time you would you would associate this with heroin mm-hmm. a heroin addiction where he finds her beginning to inject herself and so therefore you've got that same kind of ooh you know, unclean from the heroin, from this idea of the heroin injection, you know, Mm -hmm. and she begins, her face begins to turn where the dark circles under her eyes and everything, because she has not been able to get her injection. Mm -hmm. This does not happen in the book. In the book, she lets him know that he has actually been killing, uh, not just the undead, not just vampires, but people who belong to her society. And so he is the bad man to them and that he must, they must kill him. And so she falls in love with him during this time or she at least realizes that he's not a bad guy. Just like he realizes that he has been wrongly killing people. They both realize that he has been wrongly killing people. She realizes that they all fear him, but he's not a bad guy. And she tells him to get away And then she leaves. He stays there. He does not pay any attention to her telling him to get away. They eventually come and get him, and he ends up in prison. She comes to visit him. And once again, you have this kind of uh, idea of oppression in her society where she cannot communicate to him her full, full emotions. She has to keep them repressed. It turns out that she is some kind of official in this society. But she gives him pills to take to commit suicide before they kill him. And he asks her, please, to bring compassion into this new society. In the movie, it's a completely different scenario. So, in the book, they have the pills. You know, he thinks of, oh, if I could cure them, but there is no hope of that in the book. In the movie, he does come up with a cure, he transfuses her with his own blood. She's cured.
1: Because he got bit by a vampire bat, by a, like, by,
0: by a vampire bat. Like, yeah. what, Where was it? Like in the Bahamas or something? I, I don't forgot. Remember. So he cures her, but the members of her society they come, and it's amazing how he never managed to notice them before, <laughs> right? Oh, that's the thing is that he came across. Remember when he was yeah, searching the, the, for the, the poodle? Vampires when he was looking for them. the poodle, it was yes. And the thing is, is that it was there. In mm-hmm. Mussolini's subdivision, his modernist subdivision, that he first comes upon the stakes, that he realizes that he's not the only living person.
1: Because they're made of iron.
0: Because you've got these other vampires that have been staked, but they're not staked with wood. Like, that makes any difference. It's, it's a really weird thing that happens here where he goes and he goes, Oh, there are these bodies lying around. They've been staked with iron it's like it takes him realizing pulling it out and seeing the iron stake to realize that he didn't do this himself like the fact weird
1: they're they're like the size of mike stands they're huge
0: they're these huge iron stakes so it's here in this mussolini subdivision that he finds these it it gets weird politically i don't know what to do with it but they come to get him and they're all dressed in black shirts now, of course, it's black and white. We can't really tell what color they're all wearing, but by this, I mean they're they're all uniformed. The men are all uniformed, and it's uh, their shirts are all buttoned up. You know, to the neck, everything is pristine, very, very clean. There, you know, whereas the vampires, of course, were very dirty. They, their clothes were torn, and these people are all very clean. Even the women we find are all dressed the same in the same dark clothing, and they, they all kind of look the same. The men, the
1: baby, also.
0: The men, in some way, look the same. That's what I'm talking about. You don't have a sense of individualism so much. They're chasing him. They're going to kill him. He's ending up killing them left and right as they chase after him to kill him. He takes refuge in a church. The church that he takes refuge in, it's oddly enough, it's a very modern church. It's uh, dedicated to Pope Pius X. Now, Pope Pius X was a very conservative pope. He was against modernism. He even had his clerics take an oath against modernism. He was against relativism separation of church and state, not at all. He didn't believe in that. He did not want Italian voters to get too involved in politics that separated them from the church. They had to honor the church's hierarchy and what the church wanted. He even had uh, lists of modernist books, books on modernism, that he censored. He didn't want anyone to read. So we're talking about a very traditionalist censoring church, the church that is dedicated to this pope, that he takes refuge in. He's next to the altar. He ends up being killed next to the altar. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he really calls them a bunch of freaks. And he's calling them, he's, he's yelling at them that they are freaks. And he says he is the last true man. I am
1: a man, the last man.
0: And earlier, she had said the beginning of any society is never charming or gentle. He had earlier reproved them to her, saying, but they're so violent. They are so violent. In the book, she makes it very clear. What do you think you look like to us? Mm -hmm. Okay, but they don't make that very clear in the movie. Like I said, there's a weird political thing going on here, and that was not at all in the book. You did not have these religious overtones. You did not have him where he was the last true man dying on the altar, the one who supplies his blood through her finally, because she is the one who has been transfused. He dies on the altar basically having given his life. He's a sacrificial Christ-like figure, which is made even more bizarre and distorted by the fact that you have these, what is a vampire anyway? But a vampire is like a resurrected human being to life, being one of the undead who has to drink blood, right? And because what's the whole purpose of resurrection? The whole idea of immortality, of eternal life, is that you come back from the dead. That you are not dead. That you live forever. You have a version of that with vampires. At first,
1: when I was hearing about this, I was wondering if maybe this is why um was his face disowned the film, but. There's one certain thing that I kind of did. froze it off a little bit. Mm-hmm. He later on wrote a religious book.
0: And he approved of the Omega Man. And the Omega Man had kind of the same thing.
1: But with well, a religious book specifically, think- he wrote a book called What Dreams May Come. I, looked at, I saw this while looking it up, which was specifically a book about a guy who dies and goes to heaven and then what goes to hell. What Dreams May Come? That yeah. sounds
0: like a Philip K. Dick
1: book. No, it's a... Um, book by the yeah. same guy. No,
0: I'm just saying, that sounds like something like Philip K. Dickworth. Or Kurt
1: Vonnegut. Would, 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 but no, okay. the the book, uh, it was by guy who wrote I Am Legend, and it specifically is framed in the device of this character receiving messages from beyond the grave from his brother who died and went to heaven. Okay. So it is a very sort of religious... They use, like, a bunch of different names, and, you know, and the terminology, if you it's kind of different, like... With hell, it's, like, this black pit, you know, with no... With basically sensory deprivation, and if I recall correctly, I just read the synopsis of it. The reason why the main character goes to hell is his wife commits suicide, and they say, Oh, it's just the law of, you know, the world... It's the law of the universe. People who commit suicide have to go to hell, and it's just like, you know, he goes down to hell, and the hell for, like, people who kill themselves is, like, this right. darkened suburban alley or something that resembles, you know, where they died.
0: Okay. Where well,
1: essentially, from what I recall, it's very anxiety, is just being... Amplified, like, the reason why they killed themselves, like, just manifesting in their head forever. Guilt,
0: yeah, uh-huh.
1: You have a little bit of that going on. I thought at first, could it be they disowned it for religious, for religious oh, I was, overtones? I was, but- I
0: was wondering if he probably disowned it. Of course, I don't know. I don't have any idea. But I was thinking he may have disowned it for the way, for the ending. The ending is completely different, but we could be totally wrong. Yeah. He, but there may have been other things that were there. That's not in the book at all, where he, yeah. be- he becomes... He becomes a kind of Christ figure where he is sacrificed. He doesn't have to die, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have to kill him, but they kill him anyway. But the thing is, also, it's all muddled, too, because he is also a bad guy and that he has been killing them. Yeah. He misunderstood them. He didn't realize that they were people, too. Mm-hmm. But at, at the same time, they're getting rid of the old world by killing him. Mm-hmm. It's like they can't have that around anymore. It's not just matter of killing him because he was killing them, the new man, let's call it the new man, the new people. He was killing the new people. They have to get rid of the old, Mm -hmm. where he becomes, I am legend. Yeah. Right. Uh, So they have to get rid of that. In a way, that doesn't make sense anymore, because in the movie, you've still got the woman. You've got the woman where it, it, you don't have, the new man is not, she's going to bring them all back. She's with his blood mm-hmm. via her. Instead, where in the book, it's the pills. Everybody's going to have to live with these pills until they can cure it. Yeah, uh, Get rid of him. Get rid of the last man who doesn't have to live this way. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, instead, they just go ahead and kill him. Even the, uh, th- Like I said, it has weird political overtones to it where you've got, the new society. You've got this new society. The modern the new, society. The new humans. You've got the sense of the hive with them. You have the idea that Vincent Price, uh, Morgan kind of rents, re- represents an old world of individuation. It, it's it's strange that way because, he, uh, like I said, with the new... The new society. society, people all dressed exactly alike and being worried about their violence because they, they're they very organized in their killing of the vampires where he's not. And he remarks on that, especially in the book. But like I said, it's weird because at the in the movie, it, it totally muddies things. Muddies things with the woman being the one where, yeah, the Christ thing and then the woman...
1: I'm just going to throw this out here. Yeah. Vincent Christ.
0: Right. <laughs> Vincent Christ. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, so have we have we really discussed this movie enough? Have we have we discussed it in such a way where people might want Let's to see it? Let's talk about the music. <laughs> have we talked about this film in such a way where people might want to see it? What do you think?
1: I don't know. I think we cracked down on it pretty hard, but...
0: No, I think it's a great film in some ways. It's a fun movie. It's, it's just... a fun movie. I think the one reason to go see it is because... I think to go see it, like you're going to go out and see it. <laughs> What I meant was, I think the reason to watch it is because you're watching a very, what turned into a very influential film. Vincent Price liked it. He liked that he did this. Matheson... Really didn't like this film, but it turned into such an influential film, mm-hmm. and you can feel that when you're watching it. You can see how it would be very influential. It really has something to it, despite the fact that it's a B, you know, a mm-hmm. B movie. Well, from political stands, it's kind of
1: shaky, but you know, that's just because it's a horror film, and horror films are generally not the most politically. Or socially sound movies, but oh, as a film itself,
0: there's a lot. There are a lot of films out there that are going that you wouldn't realize.
1: Oh, I know, I know, I know. But I mean, like with horror stuff, especially, especially when it comes to horror with religious content, Mm -hmm. that's where like. uh, But that's just sort of like a given. But as a B movie itself, it's you know it's good. You Uh know, as a Vincent Price film, you know.
0: Oh, I, one thing I forgot to mention was when I was talking about this kind of hive mind, you know, the society, of new society of people, they're all young. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. They're all kind of like, they're all, uh, really, they appear to be a, pretty much about the same age, and there's a kind of beatnik feel to them in the way that they're dressed. You get, they're very, this is supposed to be very 1960s, as yeah. opposed to, I think, probably matheson thought of vincent price as being too old but mm-hmm. vincent price does represent something that is former and is supposed to you know it's gone yeah. the last man and now is gone
1: yeah okay like i don't even know how old he was when he was making that film but he may as well have been like 60 just depending on like how he always handles himself in his movies how he
0: handles himself how he yes exactly the presentation of the old british of no <laughs> kind. Of, yeah old american italy yeah. Uh, as a parent, Well he has parent, the British accent Like a, compared, a fake British accent As a, compared to New Italy I don't know what kind of accent <laughs> it's a price 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 has. <laughs> I've never been able to figure that out <laughs> I always assumed it was supposed to be and British he, You wanted to talk about the music a little bit Now the music in the book He does actually There, are, You've got uh, a number of things That he listens to in the book That, that he doesn't listen to in the movie uh, you ha- He listens to jazz in the movie He listens to Schoenberg in the book Along with some other, like, um, classical
1: stuff, if I can correct. You're bringing up a list right now?
0: Well, he listens to Beethoven's Symphony No. 3, the Eroica. He listens to Irving Berlin, How Dry I Am, which is not classical. He listens to Bernstein's Symphony No. 2, The Age of Anxiety.
1: How mm. symbolic.
0: He listens to Brahms' Piano Concerto Number no. 2, Mozart's Symphony Number no. 41, the Jupiter. He listens to Rachmaninoff, Piano Concerto No. 2. He listens to Ravel. He listens to Schubert, the symphony uh, Number 4, Tragic Symphony. And he listens to Schoenberg's Verklacht Nacht. Transfiguration night. Transfigured, night. Transfigured Night. Transfigured Night. And he also listens to, I think it's a purely fictional piece of work by uh, Roger Lee, L-E-I-E, and it's, the fictional work is called The Year of the Plague. There is I'm no guessing,
1: such... I'm guessing. like, if anything, that would have been, like, a Penderecki kind of thing, almost. Like, almost something, like, maybe...
0: Although it doesn't exist. That's...
1: I know, I know, but, like, I, I'm guessing, like, if he pictured anything for it, it would have been, like, Penderecki sounding, okay. almost.
0: Whereas in the movie, when he listens to music, he listens to jazz. Isn't that right? Does, yeah, that's the only
1: record make? that he puts on.
0: And then, uh... He has what else? What else is playing in the movie?
1: Nothing else from what I recall. It's just the jazz record. He just has that one jazz record, and the rest of it's just like the very melodramatic orchestral music, which Uh gets more ramped up when he wakes up out of bed than when it shows the abandoned cityscape. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Uh uh-huh. But the jazz music is like the only bit of music in the film I consider to be especially famous because the rest of it is a little bit too ramped up for everything
0: that's going on. Okay. (laughs) So, we've finished talking about The Last Man on Earth, and maybe you will be interested in seeing it. It's a very influential film, and I love the fact that it references Antonioni's Laclis. You might want to see Antonioni's Laclis to see how it's referenced, which is a fantastic film, one of the most beautiful films ever.
1: I'm just going to say this, you know, just for my verdict, (laughs) make it sound like a straightforward review. Uh... I mean, all the political stuff, all the religious stuff aside, you know, it's a Vincent Price Italian co-production from the 60s, you know? Yeah. It's going to be entertaining, you know? You're going to get, you know, something good from it. I, I like the film, you know? I, I saw it, like, back when I was, like, how old? I don't know. It was a public domain film, so yeah. I saw it pretty early, mm-hmm. but, um...
0: I remember uh, watching it with you years
1: ago. Yeah. Thrilling two-part series, the second to Last male on Earth, which is... <laughs> Uh (laughs) Okay, should I give some context for that? When it comes to recommended viewings for a film, there's a thrilling two-part trilogy called Bisecting the Last Man on Earth. Uh, It's best to go in blind. You can find both films on YouTube. They're both shorts, but also happen to star Vincent Price. They're directed by a very obscure director...
0: let me put it this way they are a remix kind of done by a t- aaron dylan kearns when he was a teenager the
1: first one was the second one i literally i made in like an afternoon when when i was told that the first episode we would do of this series was on blast mount earth yeah well you did it went,
0: because you were just sitting there wondering about tr- you were trying to while away time with our being in in social isolation physical isolation cooped just before up here. quarantine was announced before the lockdown was yeah, announced, yeah. we were already we were already in isolation. We, yeah, yeah. Been, I mean, like
1: official, like yeah. government quarantine lockdown. No,
0: Atlanta. Qu- uh, uh, lockdown. Atlanta. I mean, yeah. Atlanta quarantine lockdown.
1: Yeah, Atlanta. Lockdown. Yeah, they're like Groundhog Day, except starring Vincent Price, and the day always ends with something exploding. It's very juvenile. Somehow, despite the fact that I put both a Full House theme and. Fly me to the moon from the TV series Neon Genesis Evangelion into the second installment. It never got pulled from YouTube for copyright infringement. I consider that to be a miracle in itself. Maybe Vincent Christ personally blessed the upload after being killed by the implied social communist vampire nation. <laughs> okay, I'll just say this. It's only the kind of Redound. stuff I made while in isolation just to keep myself from going insane in the fact that I can't make films right now. I literally can't do anything else, and so I make this stupid thing.
0: (laughs) Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this, and you will return for the next one. We have others planned right now. We know what we're going to be doing next time. I'll give a hint to one of them. What? Bok, bok, boom, boom. Bok, 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 boom, boom. That's a horrible hint. Even I can't (laughs) imagine what it is. I I hear I know what we're supposed to be doing, and I can't imagine what that is. (laughs) oh that yes <laughs> now I get it now yeah, I now get it now I get it now yeah you get it. now I get it it's like the blob, but for idiots
1: <laughs> the one or two people who will get that will just sort of be like
0: oh no <laughs> take care everybody and remember kids we love you as human beings. You're, you're like the
1: one distant relative who shoves up to a family reunion who we can't recognize. Like, we, yeah, we, have to, uh-huh. we have to be nice to you, but we don't know who you are. We
0: wish you well. We wish
1: you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> um, happy Halloween. <laughs> happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hump <laughs> Day. Happy Easter Day. Happy Mailman Day. Happy Milk
0: There. And we're done.